do it. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside Podcast. My name is Ginny Urich, and I have a friend on with me today, Jill Winger. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I'm so excited too. I love chatting with you, and I just love all of the things that you are putting out into the world. Your cookbook is the first cookbook that I cried through. I mean, it's oh, oh my goodness. cried happy tears. <laughs> it happy moved tears. Okay, good. me. It moved oh. me. Oh you have goodness. a beautiful cookbook, the Prairie Homestead Cookbook, Simple Recipes for Heritage Cooking in Any Kitchen. This is a gorgeous cookbook and just a very moving cookbook. And you've got your podcast, almost 300 episodes. You've got your YouTube channel with like a billion subscribers. And you have a new book coming out in September. So just like I said, putting out so much positive information and helpful information into the world. So what a gift to get to talk with you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a wild ride, but it's been good. I'm sure. I'm sure. So you started your blog, theprairiehomestead.com, a while ago, over 10 years ago. I did. It was kind of... I mean, I think blogging, blogging was having its heyday at that time, but homesteading was, was really new. So I felt kind of like I was getting in on the early stages of that whole movement. People didn't really know what homesteading was. I still had to explain it all the time when they'd be like, what is your blog about? And I'm like, homesteading. And they're like, you know, blank crickets, nothing. Wow. Wow. Has things changed? They have changed so much. It's insane. Like I never thought in a million years that it would be growing. The movement would be growing like it is with so much interest, but it's a really good thing. I think it's something our society and our culture has been craving and I'm glad to see them finally latching onto that. Yeah. And you were sort of at the forefront of that. And in fact, you had Joel Salatin did the introduction to this book. I think it's worth buying the book. I mean, there's so much in there. I would even buy it just for his introduction. His introduction was so good. And what he says about you. I mean, (laughs) that's where I started to cry because you know what I was thinking about? You talk a lot in the book about hardship. And I would imagine that you'll talk about that some in your new book too. That's coming out in September. But then none of this is easy. It's hard. And you could quit that theme runs through the book, but you don't quit. And then who knows, what's the reward? It's some amazing tomato crop, it's dinners with your family, or maybe it's this incredible introduction to a cookbook from Joel Zalton. I mean, what a thing. I I would love to have been there when you got it. I cried, it made me cry for sure, (laughs) yes. Even him saying yes made me cry because I had always dreamed of having him write a foreword when I was writing eBooks, you know, like when I Mm -hmm. first started blogging and I'm like, someday my dream is to have Joel Salatin write a foreword. And I'm like, that'll never happen. And then when he agreed to it so generously and then wrote it, I bawled and bawled, but it was pretty special. I mean, it is quite the thing. Here's what he says about you. I mean, it's such a great thing, but he says, when the distrust of the food conglomerate orthodoxy, I mean, I just love the way he writes, and frustration so of good. not of not knowing anything reach the stomach turning point, literally, here comes Jill Winger. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hand holder and cheerleader for personal responsibility and home centricity. <laughs> the man can turn a phrase. And then he says more. Jill's winsome and inspirational demeanor. Thank you, Jill, for helping thousands of aspiring participators overcome their trepidation and become doers. I just love this. I love this cookbook, yeah. Jill. And I know it's been out for a couple years, but I love having it as a part of our home. And, and you have just so much great information in there beyond the forward and all the things that you write. Awesome recipes. So have you always been a homesteader? I have not. It's it's kind of funny. I think it was always in me. I think I was born with the desires, but I wasn't born into the lifestyle. 
And so I was your typical 90s kid, you know, growing up, um, we we lived in a housing development, we were kind of in the outskirts of town, but we were still in a housing development, you know, your typical kind of split level house that everybody grew mm-hmm. up in. So it was very normal, very standard American childhood. But I always had this little spark in me that I'm like, I want something different. And my parents were like, well, too bad, because this is where we're living. And this is what we're doing. And so I had to sort that out my whole childhood and sit with that tension till I was 18. And then what was my first big break into this world of doing the unorthodox thing was actually horses. Um, I'd always loved horses. And I decided to pursue a career in the horse industry. And that brought me into Wyoming, which then brought me into buying property, which then brought me into homesteading. So it was one kind of domino after the other. But I think that the thread that kind of runs through all of those things is that I had to learn how to think differently from the rest of the crowd and, and be willing to be a little bit of a weirdo and kind of push against the societal norms. And when I started to figure that out and chase that spark, things got really exciting for me. Tell us a little bit more about your childhood because you have some cool stories. Like you would pretend to be a homesteader, even though you yes. probably wouldn't have really even known that word. I, yeah, I didn't call it homesteader, but I would push, I wanted to like live on a farm. And so I would push the wheelbarrow we had around our yard and pretend I was like mucking out stalls. It was weird, right? It was weird. And then like my sister and I, uh, I, I wasn't ever very girly. I wasn't into like fancy dress up or dolls or anything, but we'd always pretend that we lived in the olden days. And so I remember, I think my mom still has some pictures we took with our disposable camera where I, we all dressed up in like um, gowns and tried to make it look like we were legit old fashioned. Um, so I had, I had the, these weird little inclinations. Also, I didn't have a lot of friends as a result. <laughs> But, you know, I was doing my own thing. But yeah, I always like there was always something in me. I'm like, there's got to be more than this. Like, and I kind of see everybody else content with the just kind of trudging along in the rat race in their little ruts of what society told them to do. And I couldn't articulate it. But I'm like, this can't be it. This can't be all there is. There's got to be something more. And so I, I just was always like hunting as a kid for that thing. And you knew. You knew you were right. We have lost a lot. And I think that's one of the things that Joel writes in the book. He says, only a few generations ago, the average person was impressively capable without really even trying. And then you write, we've taken this flying leap backwards. We've lost a lot of these skills. So you bought some acreage with a, a fallen down house. So you're learning all sorts of skills. You're learning how to renovate and that sort of thing. How did your homesteading start there? Did you start with gardens? Did you start with all of it? Yeah. So when we bought the property, it was initially just to have a, a spot for our horses. And I, we knew we didn't want to board our horses and I wanted to have them in my, in my own land. So that was kind of our justification. And then not too long after that, uh, you know, you we buy on emotions, but we justify it with logic, right? So I was like, I got to make this newfound mortgage payment worth something because it was scary. We're, we're newlyweds, we were young. I'm like, I have this big payment every month. So how can I like start being more frugal? And so I thought, well, you know, I didn't know that the cost of growing food often isn't cheaper than buying it at the store. So I was still, you know, naive, but I'm like, if I grow some food in my backyard, that'll offset the cost of this mortgage. <laughs> naive, right? Real naive. Great. But it but it was this spark. And I remember the feeling. I, I've I list, I've learned over the years to really listen to my gut and listen to that intuition. And I, I never will forget where I was standing and the feeling that came into my body when I had that thought for the first time. Like it was like literal electricity. And it was like, whoa, I don't know what this is, but I I've got to do this. And I became obsessed with compost piles and goats and chickens and gardens. Like I've never cared. I didn't even like to cook before that. I was 
very much. I even made fun of people who bought organic produce. Like I was extremely conventional and kind of ornery about it. But it was like this lightning bolt of inspiration. And I'm like, I've got to chase this. I got to figure out where this leads. And so the very first thing we built was a compost pile. Um, and then the next thing I think we brought home were some chickens. And then we started digging up for our garden plot. And then it just like snowballed after that. I mean, this is incredible. What a story. And your husband even proposed on horseback, right? He did. So it's this is all of your dreams came true. <laughs> Yep. Yep. <laughs> heading into adulthood, all that stuff that was in you. What an incredible story. And now you're out changing the world. Like Joel said, you're leading the way, you're leading the charge. And one of the things that he talked about in that forward was fear. And I think there is a lot of fear. I think there's fear for raising our children. Are we doing the right thing? The world is changing really fast. There's fear about food insecurity, about what we should be feeding our kids, that there's a lot of fear. But that knowledge helps to alleviate a lot of those fears. And so you wrote a cookbook, but it's not your typical cookbook. It's a cookbook that has beautiful recipes, fantastic. We had the stovetop mac and cheese for lunch today. So it was awesome. So love the cookbook, love the recipes. But you're also dispelling fear in there as well by providing knowledge. So what was your path to writing a cookbook like that? Yeah, so I knew I wanted to publish a book at some point, because up to that point, I think I, I signed on the dotted line for that contract, I think 2016 or 17. And so I'd been creating digital content, but there's just something about a book, right? It just, mm-hmm. It's just real, and it's tangible, and, and it's, it's just amazing. So I wanted a book. And so we started to look at what content of mine was resonating. Because I didn't know it would be a cookbook. I thought maybe it'll just be another sort of book or a mm-hmm. DIY or something. And so mm-hmm. when I look at the blog post that were getting the most traction and getting the most excitement, it was the staples, how to make butter, how to make breadcrumbs, how to make gravy, how to make biscuits. And I was like, I think there's something there. I think people are craving this idea of going back to just the basics. And so that's where that idea of the cookbook came from. We started to flesh that out. And, you know, for me, food is a huge, it is like the biggest part of homesteading, but it also is the gateway to so much more. And so I wanted that to be reflected in the book that, yeah, it's you start with food, but it's opening up this idea of hmm. building your confidence and your competence and getting you outside of your comfort zone in a really good way and learning how to overcome fear through action and all these other principles that really, that's the impetus of homesteading for me. It's that personal development journey that it takes you on inadvertently. And so that's why we kind of wanted to pull those pieces into the cookbook. So it's more than just the recipes. Hmm. That's actually really interesting because when you talk about this sort of slow cooking and cooking like a homesteader, that is an entry point that most people can join in on. So, you know, some people might not have a place to put a milk cow, but we can change how we cook in our own kitchens for the most part. And so that's a really cool first book, I think. But then it's also infused with a lot of other, there's gardening tips in there and all sorts of different extras beyond. It is a homesteader cookbook, which I think is really a special thing. And I love that. And I love that it's just a great place for anyone to start. So tell us then how will the book in September that's coming out, which is called Old Fashioned on Purpose. It's the same name as your podcast. So I love that. So Old Fashioned on Purpose, cultivating a slower, more joyful life. We all need this. What's that going to be like? Yeah. So it's not, people get, they're always like, it's a cookbook. It's number two. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not a cookbook. And it doesn't have like the pictures or it has a few little recipes, but it's not like a recipe or tutorial book. It's a book you'd want to sit down with a cup of tea and just Mm -hmm. read. It's my, I was like, I asked my agent, I'm like, what do we call this type of book? It's not a cookbook. It's not a tutorial. He's like, 
it's a reading book. I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad I asked. Yeah. <laughs> it's adult nonfiction. It's adult nonfiction. Exactly. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, but really, my, I know it was so funny. I'm like, I feel reading book. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> so, um, but I really wanted to write it for those who might not be homesteaders. I mean, if you are a homesteader, you're going to love it. But I'm, I'm looking at these principles of this life that I have grown to love so much. It has changed my life forever. Mm. And I see the benefit of it. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, but like you said, not everyone can have a milk cow. Not everyone can move to 60 acres. Not everyone can have a chicken coop. So I'm like, these principles are too important for our culture to only be available to those people who have land and cattle, mm. right? We have to bring right. these to the masses. Everybody needs this. We're losing ourselves as our culture moves faster and faster, and we need a way to hold on to what makes us human. And so that's what I explored in this book. It's really, I think there's eight principles of what I call the old fashioned on purpose lifestyle. It's not about how much land you own. It's not about what farm animals you keep. It's about a way of moving through life with intention. And those Mm -hmm. eight principles are going to help anyone, no matter where they live, figure out how to do that. So it was fun to write. It was hard to write. I brought in a lot of research and history, and I really wanted to have these principles be grounded in foundational concepts, not just, oh, Jill thinks chickens are fun, so let's do chickens. Like, I really wanted to ground them historically. So it was quite Mm -hmm. a wild ride, but I'm really excited for people to get it in their hands. Oh, yeah. And I think it's cool to have both. It's cool to have the cookbook and then to have something different that they tie in together, but they're different. And so people can have both on their shelves and refer to both for different reasons and different things. So that comes out this September, old fashioned on purpose. People can pre-order it already. So I always say pre-orders are incredibly helpful for authors, very helpful pre-order. So you could do that. You could get it for a gift. I mean, it's coming out in September. So it's perfect. It's right in time for just before the holidays. What a great gift to give a friend. So I can't wait to read it. I am on the edge about the cover. I know you are too. Yes, so am I. So am I. (laughs) And I haven't seen it yet, but but hopefully it's coming soon. So it'll be fun to see that. And people can pay attention to what that's going to look like. You wrote in the Prairie Homestead cookbook that you have a lengthy sermon on your philosophies on self-sufficiency and quality of life. Uh, you could give a lengthy sermon on your philosophies of self-sufficiency and quality of life. So yes. I would love to hear some of that. <laughs> I'd love to hear the sermon. sermon. <laughs> oh man, I'm trying to remember what I was thinking about when I when I put that sentence. But I do have a lot. I know it's an old it's an yeah. old book. So let me okay, it's let me give book. you some context. Give me some context. Let me give you some context. So what you're talking about is why is this worth it? You you know, you're saying, mm. look, this isn't easy. We could just go to the grocery store in 10 minutes and buy all the things, potentially for cheaper. And yeah. yet we're choosing as rational adults to coax the seeds, to spend the hours, to deal with the disappointment, to deal with, I mean, it's not wasted time or wasted money, but in some cases it feels that way. So why does this self-sufficiency and a drive toward it, and it may not even end up being self-sufficiency. Maybe you mess some stuff up and you can't make it work, but how does that harder way of life increase your quality of life? Yeah. Okay. Yes. I do have a lot to say on this. So that has been a topic I've explored a lot personally throughout the years, not only just when I'm talking to naysayers, because you get a lot of like the pessimists, like, I don't know why you're doing that. Do you know, bread's so much cheaper at the store. Eggs are cheaper. Milk's cheaper. Why the heck are you doing that? So I get a lot of that. And I've been 
I always listen to that most of the time. And I have to say, okay, well, do they have a point? Maybe. Like, why am I doing this? It is harder. It is more expensive sometimes. There's times when stuff dies and I'm crying over dead goats or dead chickens or dead gardens. And like, this Mm -hmm. is harder. So why am I doing this? And then and there's that time where I have to figure out my motivations. Otherwise, I wouldn't have the to continue. And I think what I have come back to time and time again, is that we are wired as humans to need worthy struggle. We are wired to need challenge. That is, I mean, what we are adapted for, that is historically what is normal for us. And when we don't have that, we kind of self-destruct. And we can see that evidence in our modern culture today. Our lives are easier than they've ever been. We have all the convenience, all the climate control. We have cushy jobs, most of us. We're inside all the time. We don't have to have calluses or sweat be a part of our day-to-day unless we want to, for the most part. We have food available at the push of a button. Yet, we are one of the most miserable generations to walk this earth. Like we are depressed and we're anxious. People are losing the will to live and they're not finding joy in life. And you have to look at the growth. If you had a a graph, right? The growth of convenience and then the growth of the modern malaise, as I call it, they're very much correlated and you have to ask why, you know, and it's not to say, and I'm really careful about this because I don't like to paint everything in the past as rosy and sunshine and butterflies all the time because it wasn't. There were brutal times in history. And there were, you know, lots of horrible things that happened. So we have to be really careful not to romanticize. Mm -hmm. But I would venture to say that when people had to work a little bit harder in in order to eat or in order to live or to see the fruits of their labor, I don't think they were dealing with this sense of hopelessness as much as we are now. So that's something that I find very, very interesting. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness. So you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last minute get together recently and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get off across your first four boxes. That's code OUTSIDE120 at goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120, code OUTSIDE120. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just Two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. 
Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. It's a good sermon. It's a good one, Jill. There's my sermon. <laughs> because it is a thing. I mean, you have, this is a sentence that you wrote in the book. Obstacles and challenges shape us, teach us life lessons, and when we overcome them, provide a heady feeling of accomplishment that inspires us to keep going. And what I think is interesting with the homesteading life or any sort of this back to skills, self-sufficiency, back to ba- basic skills, that's probably the wrong phrase to use, but. No, that works, that works. You know, these skills that people used to use and that we've more or less lost along the way is that there is this unending supply of them. It's like you don't ever, you can't ever really exhaust it. There's always a new thing that you can try and grow. There's always something new that you can learn. And so maybe that's a piece of why we have such a draw to it because it has this sort of endless opportunity for growth and enjoyment and fulfillment. You can't learn it all. I mean, it's, it really is right. bizarre. There's so much. I mean, yes. that's, it's interesting. Like when we started and we don't do much, but I like started growing different types of things you like, oh, well, you need to do this for cabbages and you need to do this for broccoli and you need to look for this type of hornworm on your tomatoes and and all of these different things that are small and you don't have that knowledge and it feels overwhelming, but at the same time, it's very entrancing because you're like, oh, there's all sorts of things it out is. here that I could learn yeah. that are cool and interesting that I can pass on to somebody else. So I like that you wrote, we're just bored. We're bored. These conveniences are boring. Yeah. People get triggered sometimes when I say that. But they're like, I'm busy. And I'm like, yes, we are. Is modern, especially modern moms, we are slammed. We are booked, we are driving, we have all the activities, all the obligations. But you can be busy and completing your obligations, but you can also be bored because you're not leaning into what lights you up and what keeps you, you know, connecting to nature and connecting to yourself and what is your passions. And so I I see that a lot. I think that's why a lot of people are so unhappy because we are just plain bored. And I I came across a ton of research that when we are doing things with our hands, whether it's cooking or gardening or crafting, there's something called the effort-driven reward cycle in our brain. And it literally, our hands trigger the happy chemicals to be released in our brain. And so there's an amazing doctor named Dr. Kelly Lambert. I had her on my podcast and we talked about this and she just blew my mind where she's like, we are literally wired to move our hands in doing something productive, not pushing buttons or, you know, tapping the remote, but it gives us the happy chemicals. And I think that we're missing that when everything is just tapping and pressing and ordering online. And the other day I was in a hotel room and it was snowing in the city I was in. So I couldn't walk anywhere and I didn't have a car because I had flown in. I needed food. There wasn't any food. And so I ordered... DoorDash. I never ordered DoorDash because I live in the middle of nowhere. So it was this new experience for me. And I was, I sound like, you know, just a total, you know, weirdo, but it was so crazy for me to do that and see how easy it was to get any manner of food I wanted. Not only just from the restaurant I ordered from, but they were upselling me on, oh, they can go to McDonald's and get you this, or they can go to Baskin Robbins and get you this. Like I could have had a smattering from six different fast food places with just a few button presses and they would have delivered it to my hotel room. I didn't have to even walk down the stairs. And I'm like, this is nice for today, but this is too easy. This is not normal. This is not natural. 
And so we need to put forth effort and get that reward. That's so interesting. I've not ever used DoorDash, so I don't know how it works. But I have thought in the past, it would have been so nice. I remember when our kids were small. It's crazy how quick generational changes are happening. Things are happening so fast. And when our kids were small, I used to think if I could just do a drive through and get my groceries, like if I didn't have to bring my kids in, and within like five or six years, the whole thing had changed and I missed it. It was like not in the window. Yes. But then on, on the other hand, I mean, I have some really sweet memories of dragging the kids through the grocery store and sitting on the floor in the aisle and nursing and letting them cross off the thing off the list. So it is just this interesting thought that in the struggle, you can find joy and beauty and happiness and that in other cases, you're just kind of bored or it sucks all that part out of life. So that's really interesting stuff to think about. And I think about because I, well, I hardly do it, but sometimes I do cross stitch and it's weird. We're just going to make a bunch of X's on a paper, but you do feel good about it. It's like 1000 X's is going to turn into this thing. And it's sort of strange, but I guess I would say that, yeah, it helps you feel happy. How interesting. And then back, I guess, old fashioned, it's that's what people did at night is they would sew, they would darn, I don't even know, maybe that could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. But they were using their hands from morning until night. So that's really interesting. Definitely interesting for thinking about how we're raising our kids too. So another thing that the homesteading lifestyle does, not necessarily, you don't have to be on a farm, you can be cooking in your kitchen, is it helps you to connect with nature because Mm -hmm. of the rhythms and the seasons. So let's start with the actual cooking. You talk about that just you have an anchor of your day. The anchor of your day is supper and you sort of build your schedule around that. So tell us what that looks like at your house. Yeah. So I will confess, I'm not a rock star menu planner. People always think I'm going to have great tips for that. And I'm like, I just don't, I've tried and I just, it just happens, but I don't know how it happens, which is not helpful at all. But yeah, I'll start off by sometimes the night before, like I'll plan a day or two at a time, but I won't go like two weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. So like, um, for example, Monday, I wanted to pull some meat out of the freezer. So I got um, a couple packages of hamburger. We had hamburgers Monday. And then last night we had a bunch of uh, beef roast and then I made extra so we could do shredded beef sandwiches tonight. So I have that meat like defrosting, but I'm kind of like thinking ahead. And then for example, tonight, um, I need buns to go with my roast. And so after we get done recording this, I'm going to go make some buns real quick. I often do sourdough, but because I'm on a time crunch today, I'll just do yeast, which yeast dough doesn't take super long. But yeah, and I just kind of build towards the day. I actually really enjoy, especially after I've been on the computer on a given day, because I do a lot of computer work. Like even though I don't um, have a traditional office job, I really empathize with people who do because I'm writing books, I'm building web pages, I'm answering emails, I'm on the computer a lot more than people think. Mm -hmm. And I love shutting off my computer about four o'clock going into my kitchen and doing something with my hands. Like it grounds me. It brings me back to real life. It gets me off of the internet land floating around in my brain. And so I sometimes will turn on a podcast or music and I just soak into the manual task. And then for me, supper time as a family is really important. Um, it's because where we all kind of come back in and reconvene and connect. And so I know that it doesn't always happen, but the days where we're not eating together, like right now we're calving we have cows down the road, at least pasture. And so my husband has to feed the cows at 630. And it messes up our supper. And it happens every spring. And I just get grouchy because I'm like, we don't get to eat together. I don't like eating in shifts. And I feel like we're fragmented. Mm -hmm. So yeah, supper just kind of helps me stay on track throughout the day and just kind of keep brings the family together Mm -hmm. at night. And so I I really do kind of lean on that. 
Yeah. So that's a daily rhythm. And then I think if you're paying attention to farmer's markets or you're growing your own things and you talk about, you know, you've got a short growing season and it's probably different parts of the year are very hectic, but if you follow the rhythm of nature, it also builds in time for rest. So talk us through, you're in Wyoming. So talk us through the seasons and how each one feels and how they change from season to season based on climate and weather and all that stuff. Yes, I do. I do really enjoy living in a place with seasons, although I would venture to say that some of our seasons were a little out of balance in terms of we have a little summer and a lot of winter, but we still have seasons. And I, you know, people complain a lot about winter. Um, It's like a hobby for some. And I really, I, I just don't relate to that. I mean, there's days where I'm like, oh man, I just want to go outside and not be cold, or I wish the wind wasn't blowing. I get it. But, you know, I love the forced rest. I actually, you know, I, I right now I'm jumping at the bit to go plant my garden, get outside. But I know come September, I need a break from the garden. If I was gardening year round, I would hate it. And so I'm, I'm thankful that I have that ability to garden hard and be really focused outside long days. We know we're out till dark in the summertime. And then I love when the days get shorter and we start to pull inward. Um, even last mm-hmm. night, you know, it's at the time of this recording, it's early April and we got, we got snow, a substantial amount of snow yesterday. And, you know, initially I'm like, oh, I just want to be outside and riding my horse and doing things. But we had a fire last night. We lit the kerosene lanterns. And I'm like, you know what? Soon enough, it will come. Soon enough, we'll be running 100 miles an hour and I'll be outside till 930 at night in the garden. And I'm going to soak in this quietness for just a few more nights. And so I like um, leaning on nature for that. I think it's important. I think we all too easily, with our modern lights and our modern can kind of run ourselves into the ground. Mm-hmm. And I think taking those clues feature of when to push and when to rest, it does stay more balanced. Yeah. And you talk about that. I mean, you talk about that in this cookbook that burnout is real. Burnout is something that happens, but that you still over 10 years in that you don't wish away the workload. And I would imagine that part of it comes from knowing it's not going to be forever. It's going to end for a season. Yes, totally. Yeah. If I was milking the cow year round or gardening year round, I don't, I think it would be harder. I I like that it's cyclical. Mm -hmm. And then one of the things you talk about too, that's cyclical that, well, we learned we, so we're on a small little farm here, which is newer for us, knew nothing, same as you grew up in a typical neighborhood. So knew nothing and we got chickens and you, you do spend some money on their feed and it, it takes time. And then all of a sudden they're not laying eggs. What is going on? You know, and they're molting and you learn all of these new things and then they don't really lay eggs in the winter. And so you don't know that going in if you have no experience. So then you're still feeding your chickens and then you're going to the store to buy eggs. So it's just weird. But then in the spring, there's so many eggs, you know, you don't even know what to do with them. And you talk about that in this book that you respect that there's certain times of the year where you have a lot of eggs and, and we can mess with that. You can mess with it with different types of lights. But I like what you said that for the most part, you just let the chickens be, let them have their time of rest. And we have our times of rest that are built in and we work around nature. And truly, I mean, we're pretty far removed from that, I think. So those are good reminders about seasonal living. Nature, you wrote, nature does an excellent job of leading the way. I think both daily because the colors of the day change and guide our bodies and then seasonally. So really cool to live with the rhythms of nature and food production. One of my favorite sentences in the whole book, I want to put it on a something nicer than a post-it note and put it up somewhere. But this is one of my favorite sentences is in the whole cookbook. You wrote, the trait that has served me better than all the others is action. 
Yes. Action. So talk to us about fighting the urge to quit. Oh, man. Yeah. The first thing I want to say is it's normal, especially when you're doing a big project. And I, I get so many people coming to me, whether they're starting the homestead or they're starting a business or they're doing a big project. And when they feel that the first time, it kind of freaks them out because they're like, maybe this means I'm not supposed to do it. And I'm like, no, no, this is normal. Like this is part of the roller coaster of doing big things. But I'd say we we all are there, you know, even now, like this past week, we had not, not, not really on the homestead, but we have some other projects and businesses that we're working on. And it was a rough week. It was one of those weeks where everything went wrong at once, right? Like the software broke and the employees were, you know, having trouble. And we heard some gossip in the community about us. And it was just like a disheartening week. And you're just like, and absolutely, did I feel sorry for myself for a period of time? You bet. I sure did. And I complained to my husband and I threw a little tantrum and I joked about like, anyone want to buy a restaurant? Like totally been there. And then I was like, nope, you know what? This is what it takes. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And I revisited the reasons that I wanted to do these things in the first place. And you kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you keep on. And I know that sounds maybe idealistic, but what I've learned from lots of going through lots of those roller coaster phases is it does get better. And you have to go through the hard stuff in order to get to the good stuff. And if you quit while you're down, you'll never get to see the payout or the reward. And so I just encourage people like you're going to have bad days. Like we've had horrible days on our homestead where animals are dying or the garden gets hailed out. I mean, yes, it will come. It is not all rainbows and sunshine all the time. So have a pity party if you need to. I do it sometimes. Lick your wounds and pick yourself up and keep going because that's where the good stuff lies, where you build that resilience and you start to realize, you know what? I've done hard things. I've had hard seasons before and I can overcome this. And that's where you start Mm -hmm. to really grow as a person. Right. And action gives you feedback. Action gives you feedback about what you're doing. If you do nothing, you get no feedback. So you can't really move forward. But when you do something and it fails, like you talked about your vegetable garden and the mulch, like you, I I watched this documentary (laughs) called Back to Eden, Mm -hmm. which I think was a similar concept to the Ruth Stout No Work Garden book. Because that that documentary was all about using mulch and having ground covering. It was super interesting to help your plants grow. But you had, you, it worked until it didn't, right? That was a big issue. Right. Yeah, it was a big issue. And that's the one thing with action I've learned is sometimes it works. I, I still will always champion action, imperfect action, action mm-hmm. before you are ready. But the risk yeah. of that is that sometimes you mess up and I have been there, done that. So yeah, the mulch, I, for those who hadn't heard that story, I was using this method of deep mulch, which is brilliant. It's so good for the soil because soil wants to be covered in nature. It doesn't want to be naked. And so you cover with these layers of hay and it worked so good the first year. My plants went nuts. And then the second year I noticed all of my plants were dying or they were actually like not dying, but they were getting like twisted gnarly leaves and they weren't really growing. And so I couldn't figure it out. Did a bunch of research and realized that um, it was mulch. This mulch had been sprayed with a very common herbicide, which was harming the tomatoes and the peppers and the potatoes. And so we, we had this pivot and it was like the garden was just trashed that year we came through it it's been a learning curve i've been able to help a lot of other people either prevent that or overcome that since so it it was a happy story in the end but it was encouraging you know when it was happening but i just have to walk through those lessons in order to learn them like sometimes you can circumvent by other people's mistakes and sometimes you just gotta make the mistakes yeah and i think in that type of thing working with your hands there's things that are out of your control there's things, you know, okay, yeah. you bring in the hay and it's got sprayed or you bring in your mulch. But then some of the things are out of, you get a hailstorm, 
you get something that happens, yeah. there's less water, all these different things that aren't in your control. And so you have to surrender a little bit, I think, too, to those forces. But mm-hmm. I just love that. The one trait that has served me better than all the others is action. It's a big statement. And I think we're not doing a lot of action in general. We're doing a lot of sitting in front of the computer and not doing a lot of watching, but not as much action. So that was encouraging and inspiring to me. You had really cool quotes in here. I think people would love to read them about success and not quitting. Like there was a quote from Brian Tracy that says, if you want to succeed faster, double your rate of failure. That's great. Yes. Everyone wants to succeed faster. Yeah. And I just would like to, you know, we, I love the cute quotes about failure, but I just want to remind people, it doesn't feel good when you're doing it. Like it's Mm -hmm. fun to go, yep. Failure is my friend and I believe in failure. And I say all those things a lot, but I'm like, guys, it still feels bad when it's happening and that's Mm -hmm. okay. Like lean into it. I still don't like it, but that's how you grow. You don't grow when you're comfortable. You know, you don't grow when you're feeling like you're doing the same old thing and everything's easy. Nothing grows like that. Growth always takes something different and something harder. Yeah. It feels awful. I I think that's why, and we've, I've talked about this on our show several times, but one of these, it's like a trait of, I don't know how you say it. It's like a trait of people who are successful and you start teaching it to your kids. Like, you know, there's like a list of 40 things and one of them is to read biographies. So I just think that's a good one because you see that everyone is experiencing failure in order to get to their success. Because I think so often we see like, I mean, if I were coming in and I see, oh, here's Jill Winger. She's got 300,000 YouTube subscribers. She's got this podcast with 12 seasons. Your immediate thought is that it's, oh, it's probably been a cakewalk. But then when you really dive down into the story, then you learn that there's been a lot of heartache, a lot of hardship, and that your secret was action. You just kept going. And I liked this one too. Fight the urge to play small to avoid failure. That's big. This is a, I mean, what a cookbook. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com outside for 15% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy, is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. 
Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. You have to add the the juicy stuff in there. (laughs) Oh, well, plus also it has tons of amazing soup recipes. Let's talk about the recipes for one second. Because I also like yes. that you talked about the exploding crescent cans in here, crescent roll cans. So you were like, look, oh my gosh, yes. if you don't want to have to deal with that for the rest of your life, there is a way out. I hate those things. Like, I hate them. <laughs> so let's talk about yeah. soup and crescent rolls. That would be a good combination. It would. Yeah. The, <laughs> the funniest or the coolest thing, I guess, about from scratch food is that it's so much easier than people think. I mean, sure, mm. there are recipes out there that are super complicated, but most of them, you only think they're complicated because the marketers told you they were complicated. Right. I tell you what, when we first started making bread, I was like, are you kidding me? It's like three ingredients. I'm like, I need yeast and sugar and a little bit of salt and flour. Like that's it. And you know, all of the different types of breads, maybe you're going to make bagels. You've got pretzels. You've got pretzels in this book, which is so cool. You know, okay. Okay. Well, you need a little baking soda for the pretzels in order to do the boil thing. I mean, but the variations are slight. Maybe some have oil, maybe some has an egg, but it's just this basic thing and you kind of build on. So I've not tried crescent rolls though. We're going to try it based off of your cookbook. And like saving everyone from that heart attack of that exploding can. <laughs> Stupid exploding cans. Oh my gosh. You, you think they'd have figured out a better way to present those things <laughs> right now. <laughs> no, and I love these soups. French, okay, there's so many in here. French onion, creamy tomato garlic, rustic sausage potato, broccoli cheddar, chicken poblano, creamy chicken noodle, farmhouse beef stew. Come on. This is an amazing cookbook, Joe. And I think my I must have Scandinavian roots because I just love the winter cozy, like mm-hmm. piggy soup. Like I'm like all the cozy, warm things. Give them to me. I love yeah. a good pot of soup. Yeah, great things. You got breakfast recipes in here. Oh, stuff for all day. It's fantastic. And even then you go into some of the homesteading ones. So I was drawn to the old homestead pie because yes. it was sort of based off of an old cookbook. Can you tell us about that one? Yeah. So I found this quirky little, it's like small green hardcover book from I think 19, I remember it's 1905 or 1906. It was in my grandma's estate. I was something that I ended up getting from her estate and just a random little book, but it's called the book of leftovers. And it's just, some of the recipes are so funny because, you know, they didn't write recipes back then. Like we do now, they were very vague and they assumed everyone understood how to cook. And so it had all these ideas for some very random leftovers, but there was this thing called old homestead pie, which I, I think it was teaching you what to do with old, with cold mutton, like day old mutton, which I don't honestly have a lot of mutton because we don't, we don't raise sheep. But I was like, man, this is such a brilliant idea because we all get those little scraps of meat, whether it's some leftover chicken or some leftover pork or some shredded beef or whatever. And, you know, sometimes you get tired of eating it plain. And so what do you do with it? And so we kind of adapted it to turn into this pie, which is technically, we kind of, I kind of gave a formula of, you take this meat and this sauce and this vegetable, and then you top it with some biscuits because you can't go wrong with biscuits, especially when they're homemade. And it ends up being a really fun leftover that can go a hundred different ways. 
Yeah. I, it was like, um, yeah, like a formula. You could yeah. take this and this yep. and mix together. It's really interesting though about the old cookbooks. I think that's a fun thing to find like at an antique store, mm-hmm. but I've never really looked closely and I'm going to look more closely that it's not so much like one quarter teaspoon of coriander or yeah. it's more overarching, giving different ideas. That's fascinating. It's pretty cool. You have to go back quite a ways on the old cookbook. because If you get the ones around World War II era or slightly after, they're obsessed with processed food. Like mm-hmm. it's all about the jello and the packaged cake mixes. Cream of celery and soup. Cream of celery soup and everything. But yeah, if you go back further, it's pretty enlightening. And they're using like just basic ingredients. Just like I know most of my mm-hmm. audience likes just simple. They want flour and butter and salt, just like the stuff we all have in our pantries. And so mm-hmm. I love those old cookbooks, because they give you a lot of that by default. Yeah. And speaking of pantry, you have a pantry list in there. So the cookbook is so helpful in so many ways. And you wrote about one of your first homesteading wins made from scratch is yogurt. Yeah. (laughs) You can make yogurt. You can make yogurt. And it I had so much fun at the beginning. Again, maybe I'm, I'm a weirdo, but I would be like, Oh, my gosh, I can make yogurt. Oh, my gosh, I can make tortillas. And it was like, Every single time I had this epiphany of what I could make at home. But I thought that was so exciting. And when I was a young stay-at-home mom, I didn't have a lot of friends and I was far from town and I didn't, you know, I didn't have anybody to hang out with. And so that was the most exciting part of my day was I put the baby down for a nap and I'd be like, what can I make in my mad scientist laboratory today? And it was, it helped me as a, as a young mom, but it also was so fun to see what was possible. Yeah, that would help. Doing something with your hands, trying new things, gives you something to think about, something to look forward to. That's so interesting. I would be curious. I'm sure you wouldn't because this book came out four years ago, four or five years ago. You know, like which ones of these recipes had their beginnings, you know, back when you were tinkering around during nap time? I would imagine some of them do. A lot of them. Yeah. A lot of Mm -hmm. them were really the core of what we eat to this day. I still eat, those are just my basic winger family recipes that I found back in the early days that we still use and love. So, yeah. I love that. What a story. You know, so you can't even ever really imagine like someday this is going to be in an actual cookbook with these beautiful photos and the photos are stunning. So tell me a little, I just, I have to know, like, how do you get photos? I mean, does someone come in? Do you make food and photographers come in? It's a whole big thing. It was a thing. So we initially, I dabble in food photography and we had wondered if the editor was like, maybe you can do the photos. And then we started to get into it. I'm like, I don't think this is a good idea because writing a book's a lot. Photographing a book is even more. And so we found the most amazing photographer in Wyoming, um, North Wyoming. And she came, she came down with a stylist and we blocked out two entire weeks. And we, it was like, it was insane. It was one of the most fun projects I have ever done. Like it was intense, but it was a blast. And we rearranged my whole house and pulled pictures off the walls and filled my office with props. We were like a professional studio and we planned out, we did 10, eight to 10 recipes a day. So I would cook and I had someone helping me cook. And then I would hand the food. So I made all the food in the book. Like not, no one else mm-hmm. made it but me. But then I would hand it over to a stylist and she would tweak it, like make sure the pickles look good and sprinkle the powdered sugar. And we kind of talk about what dishes would look best and what napkins would look best. And then the photographer would do her magic. But we had the most fun. And they, the photographer was incredible. Like those pictures are out of this world, which I credit to her. Yeah. I mean, they are. It's, I'm, I'm going to have to look back through. 
I'm trying to wrap my head around it because when I was looking through at the photos, because they're all so unique looking. So to know that you did them in your house, that yes. is fascinating. I mean, they are just absolutely stunning. And eight to 10 recipes a day. I mean, that would have taken you the entire day start to finish. Yes. And we, we had yeah. it mapped out. Like, we're going to do this first one this well. This is baking. We'll make this one. It was like mad, like mad scientists. We, we would print off each picture as we as we got the first version of it and we would tape it up on the wall. And so we could have all the photos next to each other to make sure we weren't like duplicating colors or, you know, everything was a little bit, it was, it was wild. It is because it's all so unique. It's yeah. really interesting to look through and to think these were all shot in one home. I mean, you could think like these were shot all over the whole city or, you know, cause yeah. they're all so unique and different. And I love that. What a cool story and eight to 10 recipes. So, and then you had to have all the ingredients. Yes. And we That's had all the all the neighbors were like, we're going to have a lot of food coming out. So be ready. We're going <laughs> to probably send leftovers. And so we fed a lot of people and everyone was like, like hungry sharks. Like Chris, my husband's friends would be like pulling into the driveway. Like, what do you got in there? Like what's, <laughs> what's available? So it was, it was fun. Yeah. So this new book has, I'm sure been such a different experience. A neat mm -hmm. tab though. I think really neat to have both of the different experiences. One of the things that stuck out to me because it looked like it would be good with pretty much any dinner was a cast iron skillet bread and because yes. it just it's a quick one and you mm -hmm. can get it done quickly and just have bread on the side so that one really stuck out to me too i just i love the cookbook like i said it made me cry in a good way and it inspired me to live better plus you have all of these amazing recipes so well done i really truly cannot wait to read the next book that comes out in september so just for people that are listening I'm running down the list. You're going to have to tell me if I forget anything. ThePrairieHomestead.com. You have a fantastic website there about this philosophy about slower living. And people can go there. Then you have the Prairie Homestead Cookbook. That's what we've been talking about today. Okay. It has over 2,500 reviews. Yes. Jill. It has taken on a life of its own. Like it's it's funny because I don't think the publisher, I thought it was a big deal at the time, but looking back, I'm like, I, now I kind of see the publisher didn't really think it was going to do as well as it did. It was like my first book. I was a young author. You know, they were kind of like, yeah, we believe in you, but also. Well, your anniversary, and this is your anniversary. It came out in April. It did. Yeah. Yeah. So four years. Yeah. Four it's years. your book oh, anniversary. My it's my book anniversary. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Almost to the day, I think. No I way. Remember. I think it's pretty darn close to the day. Yeah. But it's selling more now than it did at the beginning because it's going word of mouth, which is so fun because people are like, I get messages all the time. I'm giving it to everyone who gets married. I'm giving it to my daughter-in-law. So it's that, it's that heritage vibe of like, these are the recipes that we want to pack down. And so that's been such a privilege. And I'm so honored mm -hmm. that people consider it something that, you know, can be their family cookbook. So mm -hmm. that's, it's been pretty special. And that, no, yeah. didn't, didn't expect it. I mean, I knew it would do well. I didn't expect it to do this well. Yeah, 2,500 reviews is a lot of reviews. It's five stars. And it's fun. I read through some of the reviews. Some of them said, uh, this cookbook is amazing for people who are just getting into homestead hobby farming world, need a little bit of help. It isn't just recipes. This one says, probably one of the most beautiful cookbooks I have ever purchased, not just for the photos, but for the author's friendly and encouraging tone. Oh, this is two of them. That's so sweet. Do you go back and read them much, these oh. reviews? I do some, I'm, I'm trying to be careful how much I read of my own reviews, either yeah. whether it's podcast or cookbook, because you can get in your head in a good way and a bad way, depending on that. So I try to be a little bit mindful, but I do. Yeah, I do appreciate the, the feedback it's gotten is so, so special. And I'm so honored that people have said such nice things about it. Yeah. 
The best words, though, are from Joel. That's for sure. That forward yes. is out of yes. this world. <laughs> like, this is my favorite yeah. thing to read. I mean, it was yeah. so good. So people can get the Prairie Homestead Cookbook. And it is. What a great gift. You talk in the book about planting history by, like, planting heirloom seeds. I thought mm-hmm. that was a cool idea. And so this is a sort of a similar thing. If you give this as a gift to a young couple, someone who's just moving out, a graduation gift, I think that when I was graduating high school, I wanted a cookbook. Don't you think? Mm, yeah, that's a like good We're yeah, heading a into, good oh my, so we got yeah. lots of things coming up. Mother's Day, you know, but graduation, either from college or from high school, a cookbook would be a fun thing to get, I think, because try yes. some new over the summer. And so people can check that out and then definitely pre order Old Fashioned on Purpose. I think, like, you can see through this book that your writing is funny. It's, I was laughing. I mean, it's a cookbook. You know, I'm laughing, I'm crying. <laughs> yes. So that the writing is inspirational and it's witty and it's relatable. Just certain things, you know, it's like you botched this. This didn't work out. And and that's very, very relatable. So I just love that. So the new book's coming out, Old Fashioned on Purpose, in September. People can pre-order now and be paying attention because the cover reveal is coming soon. The Old yes. Fashioned on Purpose podcast. You have 12 seasons of your podcast. Yeah. It's, I think I started it in fall of, or no, summer of 2019. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I think the podcast is one of my favorite things. I just really mm-hmm. enjoy it. I'm sure you probably feel the same way. It's yeah, just I like, do. it's just really fun. I love the conversations I have. It's just a fun way to connect with people. So I do though get nervous and I get really nervous if the person has been on TV. <laughs> I don't know. Same. I can't yeah. deal. And then I'm tripping over yeah. my words. And yeah. so there is an element. I mean, I think like you talked about, you just have to, bowl through it and deal with the feelings. Yeah. There's so many times where I'll get someone on. I'm sure you're like this. And it's like, I want to talk to them so much. And I also don't want to talk to them because I'm like, I'm so scared. I just want to pretend like this isn't happening, but then you do it and they're nice and it's great. And it's a hard thing, right? You're pushing through the discomfort and you get good things on the other side. Yeah, it is awesome. The relationships are fantastic. I think I would say the same thing that the podcast is my favorite. You get someone's best hour. You know, I'm going to come talk to you and say, look, you know, in the years of your life, what are the things that you have learned? What are the big things that stuck out to you? Where has your path taken you? And you sort of get, it's like a highlight reel. And I think they're really impactful. I get so much out of my own podcast. Like for me, I've made a lot of life change. I didn't expect that. Yeah, I know. It's not fun. Like I'm expecting to be like a pass through, right? I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to help this pass through this information to these people that are listening. And then I'm like, oh, I could change that thing, you know? (laughs) Same. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I can stop exploding crescent roll cans. You know, I I got the information now. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Empowered. Yes. Yes. So 12 seasons of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, and you have other tools. Can you just tell us really quick some of the other things besides the cookbook, like canning, the self-funded homestead? We haven't talked about those too much. You have your crash course. Yeah. So if people go to the Prairie Homestead, there's a dropdown of online programs. And so we just made a couple different digital courses over the years. One's the Heritage Cooking Crash Course. It kind of goes with a cookbook, but it's like next level cooking once mm-hmm. you get through the cookbook. And then there's a can course because everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people are really nervous to can or for, they're worried they're going to poison their family or blow up the kitchen. And so we yep. talked about all those fears and how to overcome those and, and can successfully. And then we created um, self-funded homestead and recession-proof homestead to help people who either mm-hmm. want to start a homestead-based business or, um, you know, everyone's talking about the weird state of our world. So how can we prepare our homes and our homesteads for that and be more frugal? And so that's what recession proof is about. Yeah. And then the YouTube channel with almost 300,000 subscribers, yeah. 200 videos there. So lots of places to find you, lots of information. 
to absorb that really will help you. I mean, you said about yourself, basically, let's see if I can find it, that you have, you have such a better life. Oh, you say, here's what you said. The homesteading lifestyle has personally changed my life for the better in every way possible. It has. So that's what you're yeah. offering is this better life in every way possible for people. So that's incredible. Yeah. So Jill, this has been such an honor. I'm so excited. Thank so you fun. for coming on. We always Thank end our you. podcast with the same question. And the question is, what is a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside? Oh, that's a good question. I think it was probably catching frogs with the neighborhood kids because we lived in a subdivision, but there was this sounds real sketchy. There were some railroad tracks behind the subdivision and it was North Idaho. So there was water everywhere, which mm -hmm. I say that because that's not how Wyoming works, but there was these little ponds that would develop. And so every summer the neighborhood kids and I would go slog through the mud and catch frogs. And it was so fun. And I still think about it. And it was such a good memory. You have got a lot of good ones that were outside because you were doing all your pretend yeah. farming all too. Pretend. Yes, totally. <laughs> Pushing that wheelbarrow. There you yep. go. I mean, can you imagine? It is really a funny thing to look back and to think, like, what must your parents have thought? <laughs> you I know? know. I think I think after a while, they just, honestly, I think they just accepted that, oh, it's Jill. She's a little <laughs> different. Like, I think they just gave up after a while. Like, I had that reputation as a kid of, like, being a weird horse girl. I mean, everybody knows the weird horse girl, right? Like, I was that, but it, it's yeah. just funny. People, well, yeah. and that, but cool. I mean, it's got to be cool for people who knew you then as a child to see that it panned out. It if, paid off. <laughs> I didn't end up in jail or some somewhere. Like, it's all good. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, Jill, thanks again. And I'm um, super excited to read your book that's coming out in September. Thank you, Jenny. This has been a pleasure. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 